there, you are listening to IWG Radio, the place to be for all of your wellness needs. We just want to take a moment to thank you so much for listening and just let you know that any of the information that is provided is strictly for an educational resource and is not intended to diagnose or treat any conditions. The lifestyle interventions discussed should not be used as a substitute for any type of conventional medical therapy. Welcome back to another episode of Integrative Wellness Radio. I am here with my lovely partner, Dr. Nick. (laughs) And uh, we are talking about vascular dementia. Some of you might be thinking, I had no idea that there were different types of dementia. And, uh, you know, something that's really, really interesting is even in, in clinical practice, there were there's a lot of reasons why we have memory decline or we have different degenerative processes with our brain. But the concept of vascular dementia is now being um, more acknowledged than it was in the past. And it's partly because the prevalence of dementia is becoming higher and they're realizing that it's not always for the same reason. And they're doing a lot more, I would say, in-depth evaluations as well. Yeah. In the past, technology wasn't really looking for it. So it's good and bad in the sense that we are stepping it up in the way that we are clinically looking at you know, these patients that are dealing with dementia, but unfortunately the dementia is at an all-time high and it is on the rise. It's getting higher and higher. So so with that being said, I think like one really important factor uh, for those of you listening, because those of you listening probably don't have dementia, you mightn't have loved ones that have dementia, but for you to understand brain degeneration before it becomes dementia, because I work with so many different age groups and every person is dealing with some type of cognitive decline. And there's a lot of things that are working against us right now. One of them being the way our vascular system is working, which is obviously the topic that we're going to dive into. But if you're dealing with, and no matter what age you are, but if you're dealing with, um, brain fog, if you're dealing with short-term memory loss, long-term memory loss, if you are constantly, you know, forgetting people's names, if you are bad with directions, bad with math, uh, finding that your coordination is really not great, you're bumping into things, you can't walk a straight line, your vision is really terrible, like these are all signs that you're having a degenerative process in the brain. And you forgot mood swings. Mood swings, of course. So obviously when we're talking about, you know, depression, anxiety, bipolar, there are many, many reasons for why that exists. And that can be gut problems because a huge portion of our neurotransmitters are made in our gut. That can be brain injury. That can definitely be vascular. There's many reasons when it comes to the reason why brain degeneration exists, but I think that it's very important for people to know that your, you know, brain fog that you're dealing with or the fact that you're, you know, not super coordinated and people might tease you about it or your memory is not good and you're constantly losing your keys. A lot of us have just equated that to being really normal And especially because so many people around us are also struggling with the same thing. And I was doing uh, just a mini little neuro exam the other day, and it was on a kid. And 
you know, one of the things, I was just having him stand on one leg to see if he could do it. And the mom's like, I don't think I could do that. And I was like, well, you have a poor brain too. <laughs> like jokingly, but then I looked at her and I was like, but really you can't? Because it's, I mean, so many people think that standing on one leg is a hard thing to do, but it, it's, it should be simple. It's and not like, muscular. No, it, it's all cerebellum. Yeah. It, it's all definitely brain related. It has nothing to do. And, and when I deal with athletes, it's the same thing. It's just like a lot of times these athletes, they're strong. It's not like their muscles are weak, but it's the nerve innervation, how the brain can communicate to mm -hmm. the body, to the muscles. That's what's actually being challenged. And then mm -hmm. when you can help connect the brain to the body, mm -hmm. then you can have an athlete have awesome performance or you can prevent somebody elderly from falling down and breaking a hip and mm -hmm. injuring themselves. Well, and I think that, you know, I wasn't even planning on talking about this, but we just went snowboarding for the first time in six years. And you crushed it. <laughs> and I have never crushed it in the past. She got the MVP for the weekend. So I found it really interesting that I didn't notice my muscles were different. I noticed the way that I was thinking about snowboarding was differently because when I would board, I would be always scared of falling and I didn't I wasn't even thinking about falling. I was actually just really thinking about control. And I just found that my brain communicating with my body was completely different than it was in the past. And just a brief on my history, my health history is um, I when I did my testing, I thought I was in perfect health. I thought I was everything was going to come back perfect. And it actually turned out that I had a lot of mercury toxicity and mercury is a neurotoxin. So this was, it was, I had, it, my levels were very high. So this was something that was constantly stressing my brain for a really long time. And I found myself when I was younger feeling, you know, kind of uh, comparing myself to my peers, thinking I'm not as smart as other people. Maybe I'm not cut out to be a doctor. Maybe, you know, why do I have to read this, this page in the biology book three times to really grasp it? And, you know, you could easily beat yourself up about those types of things. And especially if you're an athlete, you can think, like, I'm just not as good as, you know, my colleague. And it might be because of a brain issue. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, you pretty much nailed it. It's like looking at your, your snowboarding, I wonder, because you said, you know, your, your thought process was different. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the brain, it's like, You've done a lot of work on, you know, decreasing the heavy metal toxicity, mercury, and mercury salsa. It's like it's one of the hardest heavy metals to remove mm -hmm. out of the body. I mean, I know you're still working on it a little bit, and that is being it's like when working with people. I was like, you know, all these other heavy metal toxins. It's going to be a lot easier to get out, but mercury, when it's in the body, and the body being 98.6 degrees roughly, it's a warm place mm -hmm. mercury's not a solid it moves it's a gas it's a liquid it moves around and like that's a hard problem we've talked about this in past different podcasts but it's like a lot of the dental work you know can contain mercury and when that gets in there it's going to move around and it's mm -hmm. not a solid so it's a gas it can go up it can go upstream it can affect all of our tonsils it can go into our thyroid and it can affect a lot of different parts um not even organ systems that also, you know, mm -hmm. directly or indirectly affect the brain. Well, and when we're talking about mercury too, the, um, for me, I've actually never had a dental filling. So for those of you that don't know, those silver fillings that they put in your teeth are mercury based. So I've never had exposure to that. So when I did my mercury levels, I was 
kind of floored with how high they were. But the biggest contribution to me acquiring that was actually because I was a pescatarian for 10 years. So I primarily ate fish, but I didn't really know um, about wild versus farmed fish. I, I didn't know that the bigger fish were more abundant in mercury. So I was thinking that I was doing a great thing and I was thinking that I was really healthy, but I was actually creating a lot of problems. So kind of interesting too, because, you know, going back to the topic of vascular dementia, for me, one of the things that happened was that the mercury got into, amongst other things, I had other exposures as well, but it got into my lymphatic system, my lymph nodes, and my lymphatic system became very overloaded. And just so you kind of understand the logistics of how the lymphatic system works is it's a filter. So if you have a vacuum and you use it every day for a month, then the filter is going to get more and more full. So if you talk about lymph nodes, they are head to toe. And those lymph nodes are in charge of filtering, filtering, filtering. So over a lifetime, the lymph nodes can start to become more and more full. And when they are at max capacity, you're not really detoxing the way that you used to. And then what do we say? We're getting old. Mm -hmm. So the interesting thing about the lymphatic system and the cardiovascular system is they work hand in hand. And they pretty much are neighbors. I mean, when you look at the anatomy of the body, the um, cardiovascular system being like your arteries, you know, your veins, veins, everything like that. But then you look at the lymphatic system, they're all running right next to each other. Mm -hmm. And they're pretty much just different highways that are mm -hmm. transporting uh, information and things throughout the body. Well, and two is if you get, if you move into this lymphatic systems at max capacity, your lymph moves, like you said. So the it's supposed to. It's supposed, <laughs> well, that's the point that I'm trying to make is if your lymph is moving properly, it is flowing the way your blood does. It's flowing like a river. It's flowing really beautifully. But if it becomes overloaded, it starts to become like sludge. And if it becomes like sludge, you are going to have a lot of back pressure into the cardiovascular system. And then you potentially can have hypertension, which is high blood pressure. You can maybe have placking, which is what we call athro and arteriosclerosis. You, you put your cardiovascular system at serious risk. So when we're talking about the brain, two things is one, if you have this compromised lymphatic system, and a lot of it is in your neck, because like Dr. Nick said, maybe you've had a ton of dental work, or you've had a lot of uh, strep throat, a lot of tonsil issues, a lot of ear infections, and maybe this was all when you were a kid, then that means- And everything has to drain Into down. the neck. Right. So if the lymph nodes of the neck are the most compromised, then it's almost like the blood flowing up into the head, it's like somebody put their foot on the hose. And now the blood can't really get in, and it also can't really drain out. And that's going to compromise the amount of nutrients and oxygen that your brain is getting. Mm -hmm. So that's like one avenue. And then the other avenue that I think a lot of us don't realize is that there's this there's this issue with Raynaud's. So many people talk about their Raynaud's. Raynaud's is when you have very, very cold hands and feet due to poor circulation. So your hands and feet are the farthest from your heart. They're like the most distal. But think about your head. 
your head is technically one of the farthest from your heart in comparison to your hands and feet. In addition, your heart has to pump blood against gravity to get it into your head. So if your heart is not strong, because maybe you're sedentary and you don't do any type of cardiovascular exercise, and then on top of it, you also have a bunch of congested lymph nodes in the neck, you're, you have a double whammy against blood getting in and out of the head. So let's talk about the symptoms. So what are some of the top uh, things that people experience symptomatically when they're not getting blood in and out of their head? There's a long laundry list of this one. But really um, common ones that people normalize. I mean, the easy ones is brain fog. Cause, I mean, it's creating inflammation in the brain, and inflammation's just like fire. So it doesn't allow any of the neurotransmitters, any of the actual brain to send messages clearly. Mm -hmm. um, so you're going to have fogginess. Uh, another actually big one is, if it's starting to get a little more severe, is some visual changes. Mm -hmm. um, they can get some eye floaters. They can have, you know, whether it's starting... What I find actually clinically is it tends to be more night vision is actually one of the, the first changes that people see. Mm -hmm. um, but it could be, you know, near or farsighted as well. Mm -hmm. um, but night vision. Floaters. Yeah. Um, tends to be a big one. And then with everything else, you know, there's anytime the brain's stressed, the brain controls everything. So mood could change. You could be more irritable. Sleep could change. You might mm -hmm. wake up, you know, just not full of energy. Mm -hmm. uh, and a big part of that is when you sleep, the, the brain actually shrinks, uh, and it shrinks to allow it to be able to detox. Mm -hmm. uh, you have all these um, different neurons, uh, special types of neurons that are like garbage men, oligodendrocytes, astrocytes, all these parts of the brain that are able to pretty much collect the garbage and take it out, um, but it travels through our veins. Mm -hmm. And if there's this veinage insufficiency, it's not allowing, you know, if the, the blood flows, you know, like you said, if it can't go in or it can't go out, that's gonna cause a problem. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, if it can't go out, whether the brain shrinks or not, all those toxins just keep building up and up and up, and then you wake up and you're really not rested because uh, your brain's inflamed. Not detoxing, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that one of the other ones is headaches. Yeah, I mean, that's just increased pressure, yeah. Exactly. But the I find just clinically is when, when it's the arteries which go bring the blood in, that's like that pressure, that people that describe all oh, the like I have a vice on my head but the veins when they can't drain out that's a lot of the people depending on which side is worse they get the pressure behind the eyes or the pulsing behind the eyes or even ocular migraines mm -hmm. so and that, that's actually kind of I didn't think about it connect dots right away but it's similar to the scenario I gave in my TEDx talk in Chamonix is like you know, that wasn't venous, but that was still stress on one of those tubular pathways called mm -hmm. a meridian system. And her meridian system was actually being dysfunction from gallbladder stress. That gallbladder meridian comes up and wraps right around the temporal, the side of the head. So it was the same concept, but hers mm -hmm. was a meridian uh, system. And then there's the vascular system. Of course, you had to go down the meridian ro road because I, now we got to explain that. I love energy. <laughs> so, so... I will simplify for Nick, but when it comes to culprits for headaches, there can be a lot, but you have these meridian pathways, which are energetic pathways that can become compromised because of an organ dysfunction. They can become become compromised because of 
emotional things that we've been through and they can, meridians follow very specific pathways. So his patient had a gallbladder issue, meridian came up over the head and this woman was dealing with a lot of temporal yep. headaches. So she had other things going on, but that was like a big, big piece of the puzzle for her. That was her major thing. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, so when we're talking about, okay, do I have blood pressure or blood issues with my brain that is not allowing me to get proper oxygenation? You might be dealing with headaches. You might be dealing with brain fog. You might have visual issues. You might have um, just pressure behind the eye. You might have glaucoma that runs in your family, which means that you might have a predisposition to vascular issues. The other predisposition to vascular issues is when everybody has varicose veins in your family. The other thing is, is you might have a lot of neck pain, but your neck pain never gets better from your physical therapy, your chiropractic, all of your physical work. If you can press on the side of your neck and you feel a bunch of little bumps, yeah, those are... Lymph nodes. Exactly. Yeah. And they're filled and they're pissed. Exactly. So when it comes to, oh, I occasionally get swollen glands in my neck or, oh, I occasionally, you know, I have neck pain... Um, you know, we can blame it on a lot of different things, but that is a sign that your lymphatic system is not healthy, which is going to also compromise the blood flow in and out of the head. And I guess on a more severe note, it's like when your face actually is a little puffy, mm -hmm. um, then you know that the brain's not detoxing yes. really well at all. Especially for women. I know we are so conscious of the bags under our eyes. If your bags under your eyes are not going away, despite all of your efforts, that has a lot to do with increased pressure in the head. So, you know, we're talking about this because... And that actually can come back, back to just acne in general. You know, it's like the skin mm -hmm. is a detoxifier. And if you have a lot of acne, it's just that you have this whether it's bacteria, whether it's a virus, whatever mm -hmm. it is, that's not getting actually cleaned out in the sinuses and all the lymph running through the brain like and the speaking neck. Speaking of that, my <laughs> nose. <laughs> I feel like it got I'm uh, like, am I going to sneeze or not? If that's not able to detox, the, the body's intelligent. It's going to get it out one mm -hmm. way or another, and it will go through the skin, and then mm -hmm. that's called acne. So, And you could be more susceptible to having these vascular changes, especially if you have chronic sinus issues. Because if you have chronic sinus issues, chances are you have a lot of organisms. Um, you can have everything from strep in your sinuses to virus. Yeah, staph, staph infections. Like people don't realize like sinus infections don't happen for no reason. They happen because you have infections in your sinuses that are flaring. So that can easily create a lot of pressure in the head as well. I feel like we just list off a million reasons why vascular dementia can occur. Well, because they're all valid. Yeah. And I know that that can sound overwhelming to people, but you know, we're doing this podcast because we feel that it's so important for you to take the signs that you might be having, you know, these changes neurologically because right now we are dealing with a massive epidemic of dementia and Alzheimer's, and I think a lot of us are seeing our family members deteriorate and then we are also living in fear that we're going to potentially go down that same road. I think that that's, you know, the scariest thing because we are seeing so many neurological um, cases in our practice and it's happening younger and younger. And I mean, not to like scare people, but it's like that's part of why there's so many cases and it's getting, you know, more becoming an epidemic is that it's there's so many different possible causes for it. And for the most part, most healthcare systems practitioners are only looking at 
you know, one or two possibilities, and if not, you're fine. There's not much we can do, but there's a ton you can do. Well, even the fact that if you have terrible migraines, you're going to a neurologist if it gets bad enough. You're not going to a cardiologist. So there's no way that you're going to maybe decipher, is this due to vascular insufficiency or high blood pressure in the brain or low blood pressure even? So we're not necessarily looking at it in that way. And that's really the beauty of integrative approaches is we're able to look at all of the pieces of the puzzle because we talked about this in our previous podcast is when it comes to what the brain needs, it needs stimulation. So actually stimulating it through activity, exercise, reading, learning something new. It also needs oxygen, which is really the foundation of talking about how important the vascular supply is for the brain. And then it also comes down to blood sugar. So for, you know, really when it comes to like the tie between blood sugar and oxygenation and blood flow is if you are diabetic or you have an abundance of glucose and you've become insulin resistant or you're just eating a very poor diet, all of that is going to create inflammation, which is going to make your blood vessels constrict. So you can easily have this double whammy that you have a bunch of free-floating sugar in your body because of what you're eating. That causes inflammation in your brain, number one. And then number two, it's also now constricting the amount of blood that can get into the brain. So I have an interesting question for you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of times I get questions like, do you always get dementia before Alzheimer's or like, are they hundred percent connected are they disconnected? Is it just sometimes that different types of dementia turn into eventually turn into Alzheimer's and how's that work? So and I can there's answer, a lot of ways that I can, I can answer part of this question. No, too, I know like you said, there's, there's a lot of ways. So I guess like the way that I feel about it is that, If you have brain fog, if you have memory loss, if your coordination is bad, if you have visual issues, like you have low level brain degeneration. Mm -hmm. So most of us are dealing with brain degeneration, like dementia is brain degeneration. There's just phases of it. Like dementia is just when, you know, they classify it as, oh, you, you, um, you get lost really easily. Stages of dementia. Exactly. So a lot of us are dealing with this for most of our lives. And then when the memory gets really bad that our family members start to get concerned, that's when we get the diagnosis of, of dementia. But talking about does dementia always lead to Alzheimer's, the answer is no because of certain scenarios like this one. So there was a scenario that we had a patient who came to us and he was – diagnosed with Alzheimer's, never had dementia, just straight to Alzheimer's. What was uncovered in his uh, consultation, which he did have to have a family member there, was that about three months prior to the diagnosis, and don't get me wrong, she did say he had some memory issues, but three months prior to the diagnosis, he had uh, 20 silver fillings in his mouth that were all removed at the same time and it they did not use the proper safety precautions because he did not go to a biological dentist yes biological dentists do exist they are the specialist in removing silver fillings properly or amalgam fillings so he pretty much had his entire nervous system flooded 
with mercury and that catapulted him into full-blown Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. So it depends on the situation. And then with that, the major diagnosis of Alzheimer's is through reviewing amyloid beta plaques and seeing if it's present. There's yes. a lot of, I'd say, newer information coming out about what that really is. A lot of the older science is talking about you know, these amyloids and how they were the main cause causing all these problems. But newer science, newer research, very mm -hmm. interestingly enough, is showing that it's actually a protective mechanism. Mm -hmm. You know, the body is so intelligent, it's always going to be changing, compensating due to the stresses and challenges put on it. And in that case, you know, it's a mercury toxin in going well, up. Let's, let's classify it. So amyloid beta plaques are, when you look at an MRI of the brain and you see lesions, they... So it's a protein. Yes. So well, they, they say that the lesions are due to these amyloid plaques, correct. which were the culprit for Alzheimer's. But that's false. And now you're going to bust that myth. Yeah, so that's 100% not true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You tell everybody else. <laughs> I know. So they thought that it was creating these lesions that you go through and mm -hmm. you get you know, MRI and you can see these. Um, but really, it's like a biofilm. So it's like when you have bacteria or something on your teeth, mm -hmm. uh, your body creates plaque to engulf it so it's not creating damage to your gums and teeth and eroding and causing all these problems. Because really a lot of, not to get on another side tangent, but a lot of our stomach issues comes from just poor oral because mm -hmm. it's the start of the tube. Uh, but when you look at the brain, it's amyloid um, plaques is really just these um, proteins that are... Uh, when you look at a protein, encapsulating too too mm. crazy. Um, but when a protein becomes activated, it curls itself up into a little ball. Mm -hmm. And these amyloid is a specific structuring uh, of these proteins that's not its quote unquote conventional structure, um, but it's doing that, and then they're entangling itself with other proteins, literally encasing whatever this toxin in, in the patient's case, mercury, um, so it's not causing more destruction. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, we're not seeing the mercury because from the testing that's available yeah. to most practitioners, and we are only seeing these amyloid beta, and we're like, this is causing so much problem. Yeah. And then utilizing just the concept that knowledge is power, mm -hmm. we're utilizing wrong knowledge, and then from that we're asking poor questions, yeah. which is then allowing us to take even worse action. Well, and I think that the idea of toxins and infections getting into the brain is foreign to people because we have never been thought that that can happen, which is unfortunate because, you know, even just the fact that an infectious disease doctor is separate from all other, you know, specialists from cardiologists to neurologists, et cetera. So we kind of assume that, you know, infectious disease is really rare and it's not it's not at all. It's becoming more and more prevalent. And it's partly because of a lot of the contamination in the food, in the environment. You know, most of our oceans are completely contaminated. And we are dealing with a an abundance of not only these different organisms, but we're dealing with an abundance of organisms that are resistant to a lot of our antibiotics and different types of therapies. Mm -hmm. So when we're we're talking about just like keeping it as simple as possible when we talk about organic versus not, there are 262 chemicals that are being used in the pesticide, herbicide, insecticide world. So when we eat conventional, 
we're being exposed to all of these chemicals every time we eat, let alone if we're eating prepackaged foods, which contain high fructose corn syrup and a bunch of preservatives and dyes. Everything made in the lab. Exactly. So these chemicals are completely foreign to our body. And these chemicals can, some of them can pass the blood brain barrier, which is the barrier around the brain to protect it. And if these toxins get into the brain, that's the cascade that Dr. Nick is talking about is now the body or the immune system is like, what the heck is that? The brain is the most vital organ. If your brain doesn't work, you don't work. Mm -hmm. So what can I do to make this situation better? And it goes in and it encapsulates. And then we look at an MRI and we say, oh, you have amyloid plaques. Oh, okay. So you have Alzheimer's. But we're completely missing the boat on what is the actual cause. Right. Because we don't even acknowledge toxicity in, in medicine. We don't even acknowledge that that is part, could be part of the puzzle. And, and part of the hard process is, is that, you know, from when new science comes out, it takes about three years, three to five years on average to get that information to a textbook. So, mm -hmm. I mean, unless you're taking the time to review a lot of these new studies coming out, it's just, you're not going to be aware of it. Mm -hmm. And if you're not aware of it, you can't help. Mm -hmm. And like the same process, like most people thought that, you know, infections and all these things, it's hard to get into the brain. At the same time, we thought that we can't, the brain can't regenerate. They mm -hmm. can't make new neurons. And we know that's a false too. It's like mm -hmm. there is neurogenesis. That the, a lot of different parts of the brain can create new neurons, new mm -hmm. actual brain cells. And it's that understanding that even if you do have Alzheimer's or dementia, like there's still a lot you can do to reverse the process and mm -hmm. to, to really heal from it. Well, with that being said, I want to talk about some of the modalities to improve the brain overall, but obviously improve when it comes to vascular dementia. But before we do that, I actually want to just go through a, um, a really interesting story about a woman who came to me. Um, that ended up having the early, early stages of vascular dementia. But I had a woman who, who came to me and she was very focused on her thyroid. She said, you know, I have a thyroid issue. I've had it for many years. I've capped out on most of my therapies that I've done. I need to lose weight. And, you know, you need to help me fix my thyroid. And I was like... So oh. her main focus was a weight issue. She thought it was all coming from her thyroid. Yes. And you know, anytime someone comes in with a, you know, a specific idea of what's going on with them, I just pretty much say, we're just going to do testing and we're going to figure it out. And she was very adamant about it being the thyroid. So in her consultation, one of the things that she revealed is that her memory was absolutely horrible. She actually owned a very successful business, but she had to have her executive assistant pretty much like side by side with her all day and had to write down everything and anything that she said because she could not retain anything at this point. And then as we continued to talk, she talked about a lot of stress with her family, one of the reasons being that her mom had vascular dementia. And at this time, this was a couple of years ago, at this time I remember thinking, oh, vascular dementia, interesting. I didn't even know that they actually labeled it at this point. So we started to do all of her different testing and one of our uh, amazing technologies called the bioresonance scan, I was able to scan um, her cardiovascular system and also the vessels of the brain. And she had a lot of neurotransmitter imbalances uh, and a lot dealing with her frontal lobe, which had a lot to do with some of the depression and anxiety things that she was dealing with. But her biggest reason for her brain was 
the vascular dementia, or I should say vascular issues, she was actually dealing with massive high blood pressure in the brain, which was not allowing for oxygenation. So the interesting component to this was the thyroid is controlled by the pituitary gland of the brain. So the pituitary gland was coming up as hypoplasia. So it was shrinking. It was getting smaller. And she was having degeneration of her pituitary gland because of the lack of blood supply to the pituitary gland. So her thyroid was problematic. But if I worked on her thyroid, I was never going to help her because it was a brain and pituitary issue. Right. And it all stemmed back to a vascular component. So I found that to be just really fascinating for people to understand is this is not even just about brain, brain fog and memory loss. This is also can play a significant, significant role on your hormones and your entire endocrine system. And then, in fact, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the, the gut and brain connection and when you're talking about the brain maybe not getting enough oxygen as well, that can also cause constipation because nothing is signaling to say, hey, keep everything moving along. Right. And there's your HPA access, your hypothalamus, pituitary and adrenals, like mm -hmm. affects a lot of things for sure. Exactly. So with kind of understanding the premise and the foundation of, of how this looks, how does it, you know, apply to you? And, you know, some of these really interesting uh, manifestations that we can have when we don't have the proper amount of blood flow is, you know, what can we do about it? What can we actually do to improve this? And obviously that varies depending on the severity. If you are someone who's dealing with full-blown dementia or Alzheimer's, you really need to work with an integrated physician. You need to get testing. You need to be extremely specific on what you're doing. But if you are the person who really resonated with like, oh, I have brain fog and I'm definitely losing my keys all the time and, you know, my, my short-term memory is terrible, you can start doing things about it now. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell us about some of your favorite therapies um, that for, really help? For the severe, for the... No. So for the person who is resonating with the fact that they notice that they're resonating with some of these symptoms, their brain's not working at its best, maybe they have some mood instability, maybe they're dealing with some brain fog, maybe their memory is just not as good. Like, what are some of these things that they can do right away? Hands down, number one's exercise. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, walking scientifically has been the only beneficial exercise proven uh, for the body, but now they're doing more studies on high intensity training and that's showing uh, improvement in vascular flow and getting blood flow to the brain and how that controls metabolism and all, uh, there's a lot of benefits. Um, but like I said, it all comes down to balance. Like if you do too much of just one exercise, mm -hmm. like you're not going to get, you can actually get backlash um, and creating too much inflammation and mm -hmm. that's going to be another side effect. So it's always about like, yeah, have a couple days or, you know, listen to your body, do some really high intense training. Um, but at the same time, do some flow, maybe do hot yoga, do something like that. Cause it's like infrared saunas are one of the best thing to actually increase the blood supply, increase the lymphatic moving around. Um, it's actually, there's a couple studies showing out that it helps increase neurogenesis in the hypothalamus. Um, the infrared saunas and infrared treatment, uh, has tons of benefits, but then if you even combat that, it's like most hot yoga studios are using infrared. Uh, mm -hmm. So you can have some flow movements and that's going to even kind of taking a step back. That's going to help 
uh, with your meridian systems because you're moving chi, you're moving energy around the body. You had to go there I, again. You know, I'm a weirdo. <laughs> I like this stuff. Uh, but, I mean, it's an important part. It's like most, like when you go to functional medicine uh, practitioners, they focus just on biochemistry. Yeah, and that's course. a big part of integrative medicine is like, you know, we're looking at Eastern and Western. You know, you're looking at biochemical, we're looking at neurology, but we're also looking at Eastern medicine. We're looking at energy. We're yep. looking at meridians. meridians. We're looking at chakras. And mm -hmm. all of those affect each other. So it's a, it's a very important aspect. And we know that, you know, a gallbladder meridian can cause headaches. So it's like there's, there's many different uh, aspects to the body mm -hmm. and light from the sun, infrared being that, and how really infrareds, uh, works a lot different than most saunas. Most saunas heat up the air, so you go in and it's hot as hell, and you literally can only be in there 10, 15 minutes max. Mm -hmm. Where infrared, usually you don't actually start sweating until 10 to 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, and then you want to stay in for 30 minutes, 45, max about an hour. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, too much of anything's not good, so. Well, I feel like with the infrared, you get a double benefit, though, because the way that I explain infrared to people is that it's going to heat you up from the inside out like a fever would. So it actually has tremendous benefits on the lymphatic system. That's so killing microorganisms like a fever as well. Yes, exactly. So you're you're detoxing, you're getting your lymphatic system moving better. You're also decreasing inflammation, which is going to get your blood flow working better. And then on top of it, they've also proven that it has a lot of neuroregeneration or regeneration benefits for the brain as well. Mm -hmm. So the infrared is amazing. And especially for those of you that are like, you know, I'm apprehensive about working out because I'm so out of shape. You can start with the infrared sauna, you know, get your body feeling better before you move into that realm that could be a great right. starting place and then like, i mean also if you're really out of shape it's like you know, more the walking and then rebounding you know getting a small little trampoline mm -hmm. and just um you can actually do uh i like playing around on trampolines from like a little kid <laughs> uh, but it's like with rebounding you're usually jumping on it and that's creating uh that change uh gravity and kind of like that soft compression that's really forcing mm -hmm. uh, really movement in both the vascular as and well the as the lymph. Um, but playing around, uh, I found that you could actually use your hands and kind of like, quote unquote, raise the roof. <laughs> and without moving your legs, if you just move your hands, mm -hmm. um, that's going to create that same momentum and that bouncing. Mm -hmm. And this, I mean, we have tons of lymph and all of our armpits, our neck, and our head. Mm -hmm. So this is actually forcing more of a eustress, a good stress on the upper uh, systems, mm -hmm. and that's going to improve uh, that even more. So it's, you should see him do it one day. It's, yeah. I'll, do a, <laughs> I'll, I'll do a YouTube video or Facebook Live or something like that. But before we move on, I do want to go back to the yoga thing because that is a common recommendation that I give to people when they are dealing with this vascular insufficiency in the brain, mm -hmm. primarily because when you're when you're talking about yoga, especially the hot yoga, you're going to get the benefit of the infrared heat. But when you're doing that downward dog, you are obviously putting yourself, you know, at least your upper body in an inversion. And that is going to work against gravity to really, or I should say work with gravity to really bring a lot of blood flow to the head. It might be uncomfortable, honestly, the first few times you do it, but you'll start to notice that it becomes easier and easier and you're feeling less pressure in the head, which is, an, which is a sign and an indicator that your blood is actually flowing better. Yeah. 
So, so yoga is so great for that because you're going to be moving around a lot of your lymph and your blood flow, which is really, really beneficial for, um, you know, this type of condition. Speaking of moving, like dancing is honestly one of the best things for the body, um, mm -hmm. and brain uh, because it's like you're moving, but you, you're moving to a tempo mm -hmm. and that tempo is always changing from song to song. So it's literally like a metrodome that has a beat but that beats changing and that your body has to change to match that tempo. Uh, so it's challenging different parts of the brain. Plus, you know, you're moving in nonlinear patterns, uh, which is going to fire more aspects of the brain. So dance is one of the best things. Mm -hmm. So getting out, moving, f get your freak on, uh, <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the dance floor. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> So yes, and also dancing is going to give you a lot of stimulation from an endorphin standpoint too, which is really good for your neurotransmitters. So really uh, getting your groove on is, is a good thing. Um, so the last thing I think that would be really important to cover is actually some of these new amazing products from um, our, our company standard process that we love very much, um, primarily because there are two products that are specifically for brain inflammation, um, which promote more oxygenation to the brain. Right, and so, helps remove all those toxins out. So one of them, many people have heard of, They many people have heard of turmeric. It's getting all all the rave, but what's- it, it deserves a lot of rave. Uh, it is yeah. an amazing supplement, and curcumin especially, the active form of it. Uh, we, If you've taken it or if you look at anything, it's mm -hmm. always paired with black pepper. Mm -hmm. um, why is that? This, this is your time to shine, my friend. <laughs> my so, I, I, I knew that you were going in that direction. So, yeah, pre-framing. <laughs> uh, so black pepper just really makes uh, curcumin more uh, bioactive. Mm -hmm. So it allows it to, to be more potent, I guess you could say. Um, but the poor thing about it is that it's great for the body, but it's really not that great for the brain. It mm -hmm. can't transport past that blood-brain barrier. Mm -hmm. And what Standard Process um, actually figured out is that pairing it with fenugreek uh, allows it to pass the blood-brain barrier and really get all the benefits that it's always had on the body. Mm -hmm. And now you're getting those benefits with the brain. And if you look at dementia and the increased rise on that, mm -hmm. it's like we muscle test for every single supplement. And a lot of people have been muscle testing for the supplement, which just shows that, um, A, there's not a lot of additives in it that people will have mm -hmm. a reaction to, which is awesome because we can challenge and we do challenge many different um, quote unquote brands. And it's always interesting to see some brands people have a better reaction to than other brands. And sometimes it's just a mixture of different brands and different products. Um, but a lot of people have been testing for that forte. And then another one that we actually just got in, uh, to start testing, uh, just a couple of weeks ago is called easy mag. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a plant-based magnesium and it tends to, uh, well, the studies uh, have shown that it's actually a lot more bioavailable in the body. The body's able to use it so much more mm -hmm. uh, without creating any really side effects with it. And because it's plant-based. And one of those side effects being like diarrhea. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, and the biggest benefit is because a lot of magnesium and the way it's formed uh, will affect gastrointestinal, will be mm -hmm. uh, affect tissues. Um, but this is actually more designed from being a plant-based uh, to affect cerebral spinal fluid, uh, which is amazing. It's shown just after two weeks uh, of taking it, a, a, a really major increase um, of the ionized magnesium in cerebral spinal fluid. And what's the benefit of that? Well, there's tons of benefit. And first, most people probably don't know what cerebral spinal fluid is. Mm -hmm. uh, so CSF, cerebral spinal fluid, 
it's it's made in the deeper part of the brain and it's really a fluid um, it does two different things so one it provides nutrients it goes and actually moves all around the brain as well as down to the spinal cord and comes back up so it has a nice little um, kind of wave-like pattern to mm -hmm. it and that's one of the major things if you go and uh, see a cranial sacral Therapist. Uh, therapist that's one of the primary things that they're focusing on is really getting that flow to flow properly uh, mm -hmm. because if there is you know venous insufficiency um, as we know that will affect length but it also affects your cerebral spinal fluid mm -hmm. so that was one of the things we didn't talk about then um, but the other big part of it is it's a detoxifier it helps takes toxins out of the body um, out of the out brain, brain. And, and flush that into the body and the system so it can uh, get out via urinary stool as well. So the big part of having magnesium is uh, A, it helps have proper nutrients, um, but also really helps with detoxifying the brain. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, so those two products come from a company called Standard Process, which all of their supplements are organic, um, whole food based supplements, which is pretty amazing. So the quality is definitely there. And uh, we're always uh, chiming in with their production line and saying, hey, we need something for this. <laughs> so we're very excited that they were able to give us something that was going to help with a lot of the neurological cases that come through our doors um, for our brain program. Um, because having supplements that can really, truly impact you know, brain inflammation is uh, far and few between. So they're, we're really excited that we have those um, bill or we have those supplements to work with our current clients. So just to kind of sum all of that up, uh, movement is key. You have to make sure you're moving, rebounding and using that mini trampoline is one of the best things that you can do from a movement standpoint. In addition, making sure that you utilize something like infrared, if that's infrared because you're going to hot yoga and getting into that inverted position or if you are um, getting exposed to just an infrared sauna and really working on your detoxification, getting the lymph working, decreasing the inflammation in your pathways. And then uh, third of all is, you know, some of these, <clears throat> excuse me, supplements that are available. Um, these supplements you usually do have to access through a physician. So, um, so keeping that in mind. But for those of you that are listening for a loved one that is really suffering with dementia and you are not sure, is this truly a vascular problem? Check out our website, integratedwellnessgroup.com. We have a plethora of information there about our brain program. In addition, you can always hop on a strategy call with our client services team that will give you more information about how the whole process works and how you can actually get testing to figure this out. So thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed and we'll see you next week.